Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So for those of you who tuned in to the last episode, you know that I promised either to give an assessment of Warriors big man James Wiseman, who is playing for their summer league team, his first action since April 2021, thanks to a knee issue that was initially identified as a meniscus tear. Pretty simple injury. I've had it myself. Now, the Warriors have declined to offer any more insight into what he's dealing with, even though he's been out far longer than anyone I've ever known who has had a torn meniscus. You have arthroscopic surgery. It's two to four weeks before you can come back and play. If you have regular surgery, four to six weeks. Obviously, when they decide to stitch up the meniscus, which I believe they did in this case, and they do for players who are young enough where they don't want to just take the meniscus out or shave it down where the tear might be, uh, prevents bone bruises and issues later on, it takes that can take considerably longer, six to nine months. But there were rumors that he was going to play in the California Classic. He missed the first game of the Las Vegas summer league but he has finally played anyway warriors have declined to offer any more insight into what he's dealing with even though he's been out far longer than anyone i've ever known who has had a torn meniscus now i have a story that just came out on what scouts and executives saw in wiseman in the handful of games that he did play in the summer league so I will direct you to that. Check it out on foxsports.com or get the Fox Sports app. A lot of other stuff on there. Scores. Highly recommend it. I like it for a multitude of reasons. Not just because I work for Fox, but I like it much better than Bleacher Report or ESPN when it comes to apps. Just functions easier and better. Check it out, if you will. Any case, go check out my story on Wiseman, and I will get into that here in a later uh, episode. 
So that leaves the other subject I promised to delve into. And that's why there hasn't been a stampede to acquire Kevin Durant since he requested that the Brooklyn Nets find him a new home. Now, I'm going to stick with that subject, even though I'd love to dive into Ray Allen challenging a young kid who tried to tell him that LeBron James was the GOAT or greatest player of all time. We will save that for yet another podcast, maybe even one later this week. We'll see. For now, you'll have to settle for KD and why he seems to be as popular as that that last dented container of brown cinnamon yogurt with the past due expiration date at the bottom of the cooler. First of all, understand this. No one was prepared for Durant to hit the open market this summer. Not after having just signed a four-year max extension. Not with him choosing Brooklyn and telling them I'm coming rather than them recruiting him. And not with him seeming to have a voice, if not veto power, when it comes to anything that the Nets have considered doing. Going after a player of Durant's magnitude, impact, and contractual obligation requires a lot of planning and preparation. If you, we go back, remember the freeway of superstars was first built in 2010, generally referred to as the Summer of LeBron, although there were at least eight franchise-type players who hit the market that offseason. Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Amari Stoudemire, Dirk Nowitzki, Yao Ming, Carlos Boozer, Joe Johnson, and Paul Pierce are just some of them. The list is a little bit longer. So, some of them, look, some of them were past their prime or testing their market value, uh, always committed to returning their teams. They weren't, they weren't seeing where they could go. But still, those names were in the mix of potential available talent, and you never know what's going to happen. A Dirk Nowitzki might be all in on Dallas, not planning on going anywhere, and then things go awry for a season, something happens, somebody gets fired, some, uh, things can change, and suddenly he decides maybe I'll, I'll go someplace else. That's why all of these teams, not just those that were after LeBron, but plenty of teams prepared themselves with a ton of cap room because they knew there were going to be some stars on the market where they could change their franchises. And as I said, not all of them were franchise players at that stage. But having their names in the mix of potential available talent inspired teams to prepare years in advance, moving players, creating cap space, and making it clear that they intended to be buyers. That means talking to the agents who have upcoming free agents as well. None of that happened in anticipation that Kevin Durant was going to be available. No one saw this coming. No one was prepared. No one put themselves in position to make themselves potential buyers. Now, the rumors that Rudy Gobert might be available were out there especially after Danny Ainge left the Celtics or came out of retirement and after leaving the Celtics and joined the Utah Jazz. Feeling was Danny wasn't there just as a consultant. Danny wanted to get back in the game. Now, no one I know saw the Minnesota Timberwolves 
practically mortgaging their future with five first-round picks to get Gobert, including this year's selection, Auburn's Walker Kessler. But nonetheless, people knew that Gobert was on the market. So there were conversations being had. And why would Minnesota give up all of those assets for Rudy Gobert? Well, I was told by a rival GM that the taste of winning a play-in game and making the playoffs made them long for the days when Kevin Garnett was still a Timberwolf, which assured them a playoff spot every year. Only got to the conference finals once, rarely got out of the first round, but they were you could pencil them in as a playoff team every year. Now, Rudy Gobert, along with their existing talent, assures them of that in the same way it has assured the Jazz of the same for the last six years. I'm told the plans to acquire Gobert were already in the works and past the point of no return when their new GM, Tim Connolly, lured, was lured away from the Denver Nuggets and came aboard. And that makes sense to me. I can't help but feel that seeing how the crowd reacted, how the team responded, like that whole buzz for the first time in the longest time in the Target Center in Minnesota had ownership thinking, okay, we, we want to enjoy this again. We, want, we don't want this to be a one-off. And so they looked at what was available. Gobert was the best thing that was available. And if it wasn't Gobert, it's his teammate Donovan Mitchell who we could see moving. But that's the extent of it. Yes, free agency-wise, Bradley Beal and Zach Levine and even potentially James Harden were all technically available. But those in the know knew that Bradley Bradley Beal had really no interest in leaving Washington. He was always going to sign for the money there. And Zach Levine, same deal, had every reason to stay in Chicago. Much like Dame Lillard in Portland, he knows that he is the guy in Chicago. And to have that, and to have that in a market like Chicago, uh, Zach's not going to find that anyplace else. So it made sense. All I'm saying is no one was prepping this summer for any really big names to be moving. Certainly not one as big as Kevin Durant. The deal for Gobert also has changed the metrics for Kevin Durant. Up the ante, so to speak. Because whatever Nets GM Sean Marks might have been willing to take for Durant before the Gobert trade is now meaningless. Because now he has to find a deal that he can walk away from being able to say he got more than the Jazz got for Gobert. Because no one questions that KD is more value and is a better player than Gobert. Although, I would say that by the sound of it, Gobert is being downgraded. A guy who's a defensive player of the year, perennial defensive player of the year candidate, and is able, at least during the regular season, to get you to the playoffs every year, that's worth a lot, as the Minnesota Timberwolves demonstrated. Now, I would argue, I don't know who they were competing against, so I feel as if they spent more than was necessary to get Gobert because I just don't know what the market... I hadn't heard that there were a lot of other people that were interested. 
But in any case, go KD is more valuable than Gobert. And so I'm sure that Sean Marks doubted the Timberwolves would be willing to give him Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four future first-round picks, a proposal he made and had rejected by the Timberwolves, as reported by Yahoo. But he had to set the market, which meant not only throwing that deal out there, but having it made public to let everyone know that Durant was available. And not only just to let them know that Durant was available, that he would not come cheap. Market circumstances be damned. But that's why I'm doing this podcast, to explain all of the market circumstances that Sean Marks is facing right now. So now he has to wait, which he can, because this is not KD with one year left on his deal. If that were the case, the pressure would be on to make the best deal possible, or watch him walk the way Oklahoma City did, or the Golden State Warriors did. The clock would be ticking. Opposing teams could sit back and wait for that pressure to build uh, for the prospect of KD walking free in a year, which would force Marks to consider making the best of a bad hand at some point before the trade deadline. And yes, KD turning 34 before next season starts is a consideration. Yes, the turmoil that seems to come along with him, even if he's indirectly involved, is a consideration. But not enough to stop anybody from saying we'd love to have KD on our team. The term, that dude is a walking bucket, is wildly overused now, as is GOAT and every other accolade. They get worn out in a heartbeat. Except when it comes to KD. The man has averaged 25 points or better 13 seasons in a row, not counting the one he missed recovering from his Achilles tear. And he's shot better than 50% in each of the last nine seasons. He's nearly automatic from the free throw line, and he averages at least a half a dozen free throws a game every season. And those are hollow numbers. Of his 14 seasons, he's gone to the playoffs 11 times. It's actually not surprising that the Nets would offer KD to the Timberwolves if Marks heard, as I did, that the T-Wolves just want to assure themselves of making the postseason every year. If you have KD... You can print those playoff tickets in October. The late notice that KD wants out of Brooklyn also squeezed the market. Had the Phoenix Suns known a year ago that KD wanted to join them, they probably approached DeAndre Ayton in a whole different way. Sign him to the extension he wanted, knowing they could move him in a year as part of the plan to get KD. Ayton's agent being Bill Duffy, Nets coach Steve Nash's former agent, He might not have been chasing an offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers for his client. Rest assured, the Pacers didn't just decide to go after Ayton. Duffy had to be working on that from the moment he knew the Suns weren't going to give his client the five-year deal he wanted. The Nets also would have operated a lot different. Maybe they still do the deal with Philadelphia that sent James Harden there, but they keep their options open by not taking Ben Simmons or moving him someplace else right away. Someplace like Sacramento, which supposedly had interest, or almost anywhere else. Because trading for him 
has put perhaps the biggest crimp of all in getting anything close to an equitable, equitable trade for KD, or at least has shrunk the market. Andrew Wiggins, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and Jamal Murray are all off the table unless the Nets move Simmons because of a league rule that says a team cannot trade for two players that are on five-year extensions off their rookie contracts. Now think about that. Andrew Wiggins with the Warriors, Jason Tatum with the Celtics, Trey Young with Atlanta, Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, Donovan Mitchell in Utah, Jamal Murray with the Denver Nuggets. Those are all teams that, with KD, could imagine themselves as taking a step forward from where they are. That KD could potentially be the missing piece. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So, uh, and to be clear, teams can have one of their own draft picks on an extended five-year contract from the rookie deal and then trade for a second, but they can't trade for two. And it's not a rule I was even aware of, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people, other people weren't, until KD asked out. And then the ramifications of having Ben Simmons came to light. Also, keep this in mind. It's not as if teams haven't contacted the Nets to express their interest in KD. It's been reported that plenty of teams have, and I have no doubt that that's true. It's simply that the Nets have made their asking price clear, an all-star caliber player or two in a host of first-round picks, and as of right now, they've also made it clear that they're not budging because they don't have to. One team that hasn't been mentioned as a potential trade partner for the Nets that can check an awful lot of boxes maybe the most boxes at this point, are the Chicago Bulls. We've heard of the Suns, we've heard of the Heat, we've heard of the Raptors, but we haven't heard about the Bulls. And they have a number of the kind of low-level all-star caliber players that just might intrigue Brooklyn. DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic. They could part with two of them, potentially, and still see Durant as an upgrade. They have a host of young role players that could still make them formidable even if they lost, say, DeRozan and Vucevic. Players like Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, and Patrick Williams. Maybe even put Kobe, Wyatt, Kobe White on that list. What also makes it intriguing is that Vucevic is on the last year of his deal. He's making $22 million this year. And DeRozan while having a few more years left, is set to make 27. Durant will make 42 million this year. So it's within range. Now, with the Bulls signing Drummond this summer, it gives them a serviceable replacement at center already in the fold. Think about it. KD, Levine, Lonzo Ball, Paul Williams, and Andre Drummond as a starting five with Caruso and White coming off the bench, not to mention Ayo Di Sumno and J. 
Javante Green, some of the other young pieces that they have. That would be a decided upgrade from last year's rotation of DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, Ball, White, Green, and Asumo. And on the other side, DeRozan and Vucevic with Seth Curry, Nick Claxton, Patty Mills, TJ Warren, Joe Harris. Although I also expect him to get moved as well as Kyrie Irving. And Royce Neal. That's a playoff team. It might not be much more than that, but in the East, that's a playoff team. Now, as for the picks the Bulls would have to give up, they're young enough with the Sumo, White, Williams, Caruso, and Green that they could sacrifice a handful of picks, future picks, and not feel as if they've compromised themselves. They don't need to get any younger. They've got plenty of young talent that has demonstrated that it can play at the NBA level. And I could see Chicago appealing to, to Durant as well, even though he has or didn't mention the Bulls specifically as a place that he would accept going to. I could see him actually welcome walking in Michael Jordan's footsteps. It's a big market, so he wouldn't be sacrificing business opportunities. Weather, if he can live in Brooklyn and in New York, I can't see why he'd see Chicago as an issue over there. And he'd walk in instantly being the biggest star the Bulls have had since Derrick Rose. Now, before I go, I want to address something that I heard while at the Las Vegas Summer League about Steph Curry being open to KD potentially returning to the Warriors and having called him more than once or reached out to him more than once to find out what KD is thinking, if he'd be open to it. It inspired quite the emotional response from some Warriors fans by way of calling me a liar and a host of other less than complimentary terms. In one respect, I get it. They take it as a slight towards Steph, an inference that he needs Durant to help him win another title. They'd like to think the Warriors didn't need KD to win their back-to-back titles prior to the last one. They want to see Curry as being an unconquerable hero, especially after he claimed his first finals MVP. They consider it a suggestion that they're not the odds-on favorite to win a second consecutive title as currently constructed if Steph is reaching out to KD. Now, I'm not ready to say that they are or they aren't the favorite to win next year. If Klay Thompson can take another step toward being the old Klay Thompson and Draymond Green can stay healthy and James Wiseman can give them something, maybe they are. I don't think they're the lock-solid team that... Warriors fans make them out to be just because they won this year's title. I think a lot of things went right for them at the right time. I think there's several teams out there that are only going to get better. I don't know that I can say that about the Golden State Warriors, especially if Wiseman can't step up and provide them anything. I mean, let's just face it. Andrew Wiggins, is he going to get better? Maybe. Is Steph going to get better? I don't see how. Draymond? Clay? You hope for it, or you hope that he can get back to some semblance of what he was. But it's not as if there's a lot of young pieces. Jordan Poole? Okay. Yeah. Still a question of whether he fits in with, you can maximize what he is with Steph, Clay, and Dre. There's some growth that needs to happen there. But okay, maybe. I just know that it's certainly worth exploring whether... KD would be willing to come back and what it would take. 
And knowing Curry, he wouldn't feel the least bit threatened by KD's presence. He has proved over and over again that all he cares about is giving himself the best chance to win, which means surrounding himself with the most talent that he can. His ego is not as fragile as Warriors fans' egos seem to be or as fragile as Warriors fans seem to make Curry's out to be. I get the sense because they believe that Steph doesn't need anybody to win, that they believe that Steph thinks he doesn't need anybody to win. And that's simply not how he thinks or operates. If he can have somebody that is going to help him, he's happy to do so. Because that would be the only reason he wouldn't reach out to KD to see what he's thinking. If I were him, I'd do it just to find out if he has his heart set on joining a Western Conference opponent like the Phoenix Suns, to know what he and the Warriors need to prepare for next season. I mean, look, the man welcomed D'Angelo Russell into the fold. And D'Angelo Russell never had any bit of the DNA required to be a success with the Warriors. And yet, Steph tried to make the most of it. Welcomed him in, tried to make him everything he could be. He cultivated Jordan Poole and had no problem coming off the bench behind him to start the playoffs when he didn't have to. Now, game one, coming back from injury, sure. It was shrewd of Steve Kerr to not knowing going into the series how much they'd need Steph to be able to beat the Nuggets. Let's preserve his minutes. We're going to limit the minutes he plays in game one since he's just coming back. And if we need them at the end of a game to pull it out, then we have those available. So better not to start him. That makes all the sense or made all the sense in the world. But after game one, when Steph looked fine, he could have easily pulled rank and said, I'm good. I'm ready. I'm not coming off the bench again. Instead, he did it two more times. Now, what part of that suggests Curry is the least bit worried about how he is perceived or that being viewed as the number one reason for the Warriors winning is more important to him than winning or that he's not willing to accept help? The idea that winning finals MVP might somehow change Steph and how he approaches trying to win is an insult. It's an insult to what makes him so special. It's an insult to everything that he's demonstrated pretty much his entire career, but certainly since he's blown up. I actually saw it as a compliment to him that he reached out to KD because it showed he hasn't changed. He's still about all the right things and he's still above all the stuff that gets into who's better and who deserves what. He doesn't care. That's not what's important to him. He wouldn't let the past or KD's contributions to their previous titles stop him from trying to add someone of KD's ability. The reaction by the fans to the idea of KD rejoining the Warriors might violate how they want to see the team and Steph. That's not my problem. And nor is it Steph's. All right. That does it for this episode of 
On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So I have a couple of things on the docket. The comments by Ray Allen about LeBron James and where he is in the GOAT status and why he can't be considered for GOAT. Certainly can get into that. Also want to get a breakdown on James Wiseman, what I heard from scouts, what I put in my story and what I might have left out, uh, and my own personal views of what I saw in him and his ability to potentially contribute. Get into all of that in upcoming podcasts or maybe something else. Because, as we know, the NBA newsmaking machine never stops churning. In the meantime, though, as always, thanks for listening. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns